The Word of God says this. It says, My soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. My eyes long for your promise. I ask, when will you comfort me? For I have become like a wineskin in the smoke. Yet I have not forgotten your statutes. How long must your servant endure? When will you judge those who persecute me? Insolent have dug pitfalls for me. Yet they do not live according to your law. All your commandments are sure. They persecute me with falsehood. Help me. They have almost made an end of me on earth. But I have not forsaken your precepts. In your steadfast love, give me life. That I may keep the testimonies of your mouth. You know, if you've been following along with us in Psalm 119, um, you've heard this mentioned multiple times, almost every week. But Psalm 119, it's an acrostic poem. It's based on the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And in each stanza, each eight verses, you will find that a majority of those start with the letter of the corresponding Hebrew alphabet letter. This week we are talking about the letter Kof. But an interesting thing about, another interesting thing about Psalm 119 is that almost every single verse of the 176 verses contains some type of mention of God's word. And we use words like his law, his testimonies, his way, his precepts. But in some way, it will mention the word of God. But today we're going to see the psalmist in a very difficult situation. And we're going to see the very first verse, verse 84, that does not mention the word of God. And we'll get to that in a moment. But this is the 11th week. We're in the cough section, as I said earlier. After we finish this morning, we will officially be halfway through Psalm 119. So we've made it halfway through Psalm 119. Congratulations. Here's a picture of what the cough letter looks like. Now there's a lot of um, scholars that believe that the way that the letter is drawn has a specific meaning. And there's a significance to the shape. Uh, Boyce, in his psalm commentary, says that if you were to cup your hand and turn it upright, it looks like the letter cough uh, from the side. It often is thought of a hand held out to Russian. And that may be very well so what it was uh, aiming at in this section. But it's, a, it's a, going to be a hand maybe or a soul that's crying out to the Lord in, in an act of submission. Spurgeon says this about this particular Stanza. He says, this octave is the midnight of the psalm. A very dark and, and very dark and black it is. Stars, however, shine out, and the last verse gives promise of the dawn. So even though we may be in the darkest part of this psalm, even though it may be a very troubling psalm to read and to walk through this morning, uh, it does give us promise of hope at the end of this. And we're going to see that talked about as well. Uh, as we land on this particular uh, psalm this week in 81 through 88 in Kof, uh, just as a backtrack, the last five weeks, this is where the psalmist has said things are going on. He said that he has been taunted, that he's been mocked, that he's been ensnared, 
that he's been smeared with lies and he's been wronged. So to assume that the psalmist is going through a rough patch would kind of be an understatement. When I was growing up, there was this movie that came out. It kind of made me think about this movie this week as I studied this passage. And it was called The Money Pit. Some of you may have seen it. It's showing my age. Anyone under the age of like 40 is probably like never heard of it. And so this movie, is, it's, it's very humorous in that these people gather their resources and they decide to buy a fixer-upper. And it's a very nice home. They said this is going to be their forever home. This is going to be their dream home and they're going to fix it up. And the more and more, the more they try to fix things, the more things go wrong. Like electrical fires and this blows up and that blows up. They don't have hot water. And in this scene that I'm showing you, this picture that he's laughing at his wife, they've actually been in the kitchen boiling water. He pretty much sets his entire kitchen on fire. You can see the holes in his shirt. He sets his kitchen on fire trying to heat this water, but they're heating the water to fill the tub so that they can relax in the tub. And yet, as soon as he pours the water inside of the tub, the floor gives way. It hits the bottom floor. It shatters. Water goes everywhere. And he's just sitting there laughing. He's like, I don't know what else to do except for laugh at this entire situation. I kind of have that feeling here with the psalmist. As he's talking, as he's going through this particular scripture, he's going through a rough time. Someone, you might hear someone say in life that you don't know how much you need God until God is all that you have. Maybe a really difficult time. When you hear something like that, you know that someone's spiritually at the end of their rope. They're going through a rough time, and they're really just in a point of pain and confusion, uh, maybe severe anxiety, but they're going through a very difficult time. Daniel Aiken says it like this. He says, a Christian life is a battleground, not a playground. It is a war, not a vacation. And it says, we will not make it without God, and admitting that is crucial. And as we look at Psalm 119, this verse this morning, it leads us to our big idea this morning, and it's that God's word is the secret to perseverance. God's word is the secret to perseverance. On Wednesday night, we're in a series called Training for Godliness. And this past Wednesday, we talked about perseverance. Sometimes perseverance uh, comes in different forms. And we talked this past Wednesday about uh, how that may look in your home, how perseverance may look in your workplace, how perseverance may work individually for you spiritually. Uh, it may even deal with how you interact with people on a day-to-day -day basis. And all of those things, as we think about perseverance, are worth considering. But another aspect that we're looking at this morning specifically, and we mentioned this briefly on Wednesday night, is that sometimes we come to a point in our life where something happens in our life that spiritually just knocks us down. Something that just takes our breath away. Something that was unexpected. So much so that we don't know how to get back up. So much so that we don't know what else to do. It just spiritually takes our breath away. And I feel like that's what the psalmist is feeling in this moment. 
Because in this life, we're going to face difficulties. We're going to have hard times in our life. And how are we to respond? Well, let's take a look at how does this psalm encourage us to persevere. Number one, the word of God provides comfort and promises salvation to those who persevere. It provides comfort and promises salvation to those who persevere. It says, my soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. My eyes long for your promise, and I ask, when will you comfort me? One of the first things that just jumps out when I read this passage is the, psalm, the psalmist just total desperation and feeling of hopelessness. Uh, two words that are used over in this, it says, my soul longs for your salvation, my soul longs for your promises. In the NIV, the word actually that's used is the word faint. Faints, my soul faints for your promises and faints for your comfort. And when you think about the word faint, it, it's a total exhaustion. You know, it's like an athlete who has been into this competition and they get to the end of that competition and they are physically spent. And that's what the psalmist here is talking about. I, as I long for your salvation, as I long for your promise, my soul faints. It says, but I hope in your word. Just gets a sense in this moment that the writer feels completely and totally overwhelmed. Feels like there's nothing else that he can do. He's, he's completely, he has zero control over the situation that he's in. The feeling that if the Lord doesn't bring that comfort, if the Lord doesn't bring that salvation, then more than likely it's not going to come. And get that feeling that this is it. This is the end. But he declares, even in the midst of pain, even in the midst of the biggest trial probably that he's been in, it says, I put my hope in your word. So his longings, they drive him to God's word. In our longings, it should drive us to God's word. The psalmist goes on. He says, my eyes long for your promise. In the same way that his soul faints, he says, I'm waiting. I'm watching. And nothing has happened. I'm fatigued. I'm worn out. Uh, this word translated when he talks about his eyes longing, it literally means my eyes are starting to fail looking for your promises. I'm getting so weary and so worn out that my eyes are failing. And he's, he still has enemies on all his sides. There's still threats from all over the place. And he's saying, I'm at the end of my rope. I don't know what else to do. Nothing has changed. I keep looking for your comfort. I keep looking for your promises. And it feels like nothing has changed. And I'm at the end of my rope and I'm exhausted. There's no relief in sight. What is he to do? Which comes the age-old question. When will you comfort me? It's amazing how much when you're in the middle of a difficult time in your life, that that's all that consumes your thoughts. And the psalmist is experiencing that here in this. It's what consumes our thoughts. It's what consumes our actions. Everything that's going on, that's what we think about. Is we're in this trial that we're in the middle of. I also want to make a very important recognition in the life of a believer. 
this may be a reality for you right now. You may be here this morning and you feel like you're at the end of your rope, that something that is going on in your life and you don't understand and you would say this is a trial and I don't understand what God is doing and I just, I'm tired of waiting, I'm tired of worrying about it. This may be you. <clears throat> if it's not you, I just want to say, uh, just hold on because those days are coming for you as well. Even when you don't understand, I want to encourage you, just like the psalmist here, to continue the conversation with God. When will you comfort me? We continue to draw close to God. We continue to draw close to God's word. And even in the worst of situations that we are in, we continue to go to God. Spurgeon says this, This experience of waiting and fainting is well known by full-grown saints, and it teaches them many precious lessons which they would never learn by, by any other means. I think that's supposed to be any. By other means. I think a good passage for us to consider would be 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4. As Paul was going through his life. Uh, now this is after the cross. This is after Paul had had his meeting with Jesus. And we know that he has tasted that salvation that Jesus offers there. Uh, but he says this, he says in chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, he says, We are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but not given to despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. And even as Paul had seen the promises uh, that the psalmist was looking for, life was no less difficult for him than it was for the psalmist in Psalm 119. No less difficult. Which leads to our next point. Number two. Feeling, feelings of weakness and uselessness. Should drive a believer to the word of God. Weakness and uselessness. It says for I have become like a wineskin in the smoke. Yet I have not forgotten your statutes. How long must your servant endure? When will you judge, the, judge those who persecute me? The metaphor used here in verse 83 describes a wineskin. Uh, I know some of us, when we think, well, what in the world is a wineskin? Well, uh, a wineskin was used to hold drinking uh, either water or wine back in biblical days. It was something that we would, you would do. Uh, the skin needed to have the flexibility to um, bloat when the wine inside of the wineskin would ferment. So uh, they needed to be new wineskins. Um, and so here's a great picture of some wineskins. Uh, the one on the left is something that I think might have been used uh, back in biblical days. The one on the right is something more of what a wineskin would look like. And maybe that's very well what they looked like back then. But they needed to be fresh. They needed to have the ability to be able to stretch and to hold the liquid without bursting. Because Jesus had an illustration with wineskin in Matthew chapter 9. Which says, neither is new wine put in old wineskins. Because if it is, the skins burst. And the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put in, new, in fresh wineskins so that both are preserved. The wineskin needed to be durable. The wineskin 
uh, needed to have flexibility. And yet the psalmist here says, I have become like a wineskin in the smoke. Now, what in the world does that mean? Uh, If you had any unused wineskins and you hung them up by the smoke, obviously the wineskin would become dry, dried out. It would become cracked. It would become totally useless. And they would put that, if you put anything in that wine to be used and it were to crack, it would spill out the liquid that it had in it. So it had zero value. If you hang a wineskin up in the smoke, it became useless. It became weak. And this trial that the psalmist is going through says it's left him feeling dried out. It's left me feeling weak. It's left me feeling useless like a dried up wineskin. Yet, he says, I have not forgotten your statutes. He keeps going back to God's word. He's down, but he's not out. He feels useless, but God still wants to use him. He doesn't understand, but he's going to remain faithful to the word of God. For a believer, asking questions of God and having faith in God go together. Let me say that again. Asking questions of God and having faith in God go together. Because there's going to be times in your life when you do not understand. There's going to be times in your life when you suffer. There's going to be times in your life that you just don't get it. And those are times when we should cry out to the Lord. So admit we have a need for the Lord. Keep going to Him uh, in His Word. Uh, even during times of doubt. Because suffering is real. Suffering can be overwhelming. Suffering can oftentimes be unfair. Okay? Your, your, your race is not the same as my race. And it may be a lot more difficult than mine. Or mine may be more difficult than yours. But we all face difficulties. Will we continue to go back to God's word? Because suffering is meaningful as well. It's meaningful. There's a purpose to everything that happens in your life. Everything. There's a purpose to it. And that brings us to verse 84. The first verse in all of Psalm 119 to not mention the word of God. So does the psalmist get distracted? Does he lose focus on the very thing that would truly help him? You know, perhaps in his weakest moment here, you have the psalmist crying out to God to make things right. How long must your servant endure? When will you judge those who persecute me? I think in this weakest moment for the psalmist, when you have this very first verse that doesn't mention the word of God, it seems like even for a brief moment, he has taken his eyes off of God, taken his eyes off the word of God, and he's focused it on his enemies. I think we do this all the time. If you have lived any type of life whatsoever and experienced any type of grief in this life, there is something inside of you, just like we see here, that longs for justice, that longs for wrongs to be made right. Uh, If you've watched the news at all over the past week, there's something inside of hopefully all people that wants justice to be done on those who are unjust in our world. When you see bad things happen, there's just something inside of us that wants justice to take place. 
you know, we meet on Tuesdays, our men's class, and we just met this past Tuesday for our institute classes. We're getting close to wrapping up the book of Revelation. And even this week, we talked about Revelation 6. Uh, Revelation 6.10 that says, They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And what's happening there? Someone is crying out to the Lord, saying, How long must injustice not just go undone? How long before justice is done on those people? And I think that's what the psalmist is saying to them. In essence, he's saying, I've suffered enough. I'm at the end of my rope. I don't know what else to do. And I need you to take care of it. Now, a little side note. I think it would be a mistake to not remind us of, the, of what the psalmist, I think, is trying to remind us here. We need to leave justice and vengeance to the Lord. We don't need to try to think, take these liberties in our own hands. Uh, Romans 12, 19 says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. We shouldn't try to take matters into our own hands. Because I think we do that, don't we? We think maybe I don't see what, how, how God is interacting here. I don't know what else to do. Maybe he's waiting for me to take care of it myself. And we try to take matters into our own steps. We want to repay. We don't want to wait for the Lord to take care of it. But even with the word of God missing for the first time in 84 verses, where do you go from here? Let's look at number three. Even in the face of persecution, a believer can take refuge in the word of God, in God's word. Even in the face of persecution. Look at 85. The insolent have dug pitfalls for me. They do not live according to your law. All your commands are sure. They persecute me with falsehood. Help me. They have almost made an end of me on earth. But I have not forsaken your precepts. You know, when you're teaching a child uh, how to eat for the first time, when you're introducing them to food, it's very fun to watch a child start eating and experiencing food for the first time. And they want to grab food and they want to put it in their fingers and they want to look at this. Best part of my sermon right there. This is Abigail learning how to eat. Now, I did not put any pictures of Isaiah learning how to eat because Isaiah hated food on his hands. He would only cry. He would, if you got ketchup on his hand, even today, if he gets French fries with ketchup and he gets it on his finger, he just, he doesn't know what to do. And he hates it. So I got a lot of, Abby loves food, so uh, she would just shovel it. Hopefully, if you're in this stage of life and you're teaching your children how to eat, hopefully you will teach them how to use utensils and teach them how to use them right. And hopefully at some point they realize eating with utensils it's much nicer than making a mess, right? Hopefully, right? <laughs> we often try to take matters into our own hands as well in life. And when things aren't going our way, we try to do things in our own way. But hopefully, the older that you get, and the more time in God's word that you spend, the more we know his word, we start realizing that when we take matters into our own hands, it usually results in making a mess. Really does. The psalmist here says, they have set traps for me. 
but I trust your word. You know, these enemies uh, here in this psalm are relentless in their attempts to take down the psalmist. Where does he turn to in this moment? He turns to the Lord's command. He turns to God's word. He goes on in this passage. He says, they lie about me. They've almost made an end to me on earth. And how does he respond? He responds with a two-letter word, two-letter prayer. Help me. You know, what a powerful thing to say to God. Spurgeon says this about this prayer. This is the golden prayer. As precious as it is short. The words are few, but the meaning is full. God's help is our hope. Whoever wants to hurt us, it matters not as long as the Lord helps us. For if indeed the Lord helps us, none can really hurt us. Many a time have those words been groaned out by troubled saints, for they are such as suit a thousand conditions of pain, of need, pain, distress, weakness, and sin. Help me. What a great prayer to pray out in that moment. Even until the very end, the psalmist is choosing to follow the Lord, choosing to trust the Lord, choosing to obey the, the word of the Lord, and all while clinging to the promises of God and his word. Let's look at this last point. Number four, the steadfast love of God gives us life and enables us to persevere. Gives us life and it enables us to persevere. Verse 88 says, In your steadfast love give me life, that I may keep the testimonies of your mouth. You know, the life that God offers uh, to believers is not a life of just existing. Uh, there's a life of fullness uh, that we could never experience apart from God. One that, honestly, we've always kind of longed for, but we've never really achieved. Uh, but that road is oftentimes marked with pain and suffering. We know this on this side of the cross because Jesus, when he was speaking to his disciples, he was speaking with them before his arrest, before his crucifixion, uh, and he tells that he's trying to give them a sense of peace even in the midst of a difficult time. He says, this is in John chapter 16, he says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. The road that we're on, this road of life that we live, it's marked by tribulation. It's marked by pain. Oftentimes those things come in our life. It would be absolutely impossible to navigate through this life without God's promises, without God's hope, without God's peace that he offers to us. And the psalmist here is enduring some of the hardest days of his life. Yet, he says, the love of God is not just his hope, it's his life. It's what he leans on in that moment. You know, the greatest... Um, protection that we have from our enemies and from difficulties in this life that we may face is leaning on God's love, his steadfast love that he gives to us. And when that happens, it help us, helps us to keep our focus on God rather than on our circumstances. When we think about how he's reigned out. You know, um, probably the most popular song uh, that we teach to our children is that Jesus loves me. 
This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. And that's what we lean on. God's love in the most difficult times that we could ever face. We lean on Jesus. We lean on his word. And so this cough passage ultimately, I think, points us forward to Jesus. Uh, It's a psalm. The psalmist is longing for salvation. His eyes are longing to search for that salvation, that promise. And he longs to be comforted. And now he's crying out for life. Okay, and the promises that he was longing for was ultimately pointing forward to what would happen about a thousand years after where he, when he was living. And it was pointing us uh, to, forward to what Jesus would bring to us. Jesus was the hope that he was longing for. He was the promised Messiah sent to earth, God's one and only son, to live the life that we could not live without sin, to die the death that we deserved for our sin, to raise three days later from the grave, defeating death in the grave. That's what Jesus came to accomplish. That was God's plans. And if you're here this morning and you've never trusted in Jesus for salvation, I just plead for you. This world is marked by suffering and grief. There are many happy moments, but there are times of tribulation and difficulties. And if you truly want to have hope, Beyond this life, the only way is to put your faith and trust in what God's plan was, and that was for your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And I hope you will do that this morning. Tim Keller says this, Jesus lost all his glory so that we could be clothed in it. He was shut out so that we could get access. He was bound, nailed so that we could be free. He was cast out so we could have approach. And Jesus took away suffering that can really, he took away the only suffering that can really destroy you. That is being cast away from God. He took that so that now all suffering comes into your life will only make you great. Whereas a lump of coal under pressure becomes a diamond and the suffering of a person in Christ only turns you into someone gorgeous. Suffering will come in like this. It says, but the Father has sent the Son and has promised us to give to to give us life. Uh, And so I'm going to end with this quote from Eugene Peterson. Uh, He he starts this quote by saying, uh, in this Christian life that we live, it's marked by grief and suffering. He says, but a Christian life is going to God. And in going to God, Christians travel the exact same ground that everyone walks on. The same air that everyone breathes. We drink the same water. We shop in the same stores. We read the same newspapers. We are citizens under the same government. We pay the same prices for groceries and gasoline. We fear the same dangers. We're subject to the same pressures. We get the same distresses. And we're buried in the same ground. Here's the quote. The difference is that each step we walk, each breath that we breathe, we know that we are preserved by God. We know that we are accompanied by God. We know that we are ruled by God. And therefore, no matter what doubts we endure or what accidents we experience, the Lord will preserve us from evil. He will keep our life. You know, a mature Christian, someone who's walking with the Lord, someone who's spending time in God's word, 
when we face difficult days. And just rest assured, difficult days will come. We can live in them. We can take, we can hope in God's word. We can take comfort in what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. Because as the Bible also tells us, to live is Christ and to die is gain. The worst that can happen to this world only ushers us into eternity, into the greatest thing that we can. And we can truly walk in freedom because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And like we sang this morning in, this song, in the new song we sang, I set my hope on Jesus. No matter what happens, no matter what takes place in this life, I set my hope. My, I rest in those promises that God offers through Jesus Christ. So let's pray this morning.